Welcome to 321i Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co founder of iRelaunch, and your host for today. Today, we welcome Katya Villajos, expat transition coach and author of A Great Move Surviving and Thriving in Your Expat Assignment. Today, we're talking about relaunching after time abroad as a trailing spouse or partner, or in other words, repatriating to your home country after time as an expat. Katya, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Thank you for having me here, Carol. Well, we're very excited to have you because one of the categories of relaunchers are people who take career breaks to be a trailing spouse or partner uh, in another country, usually where they don't have the opportunity to work themselves. And then they need to come back to their home country and relaunch their careers. So this is the area where we want to spend some time today, and we're thrilled that um, that you're here as such an expert in the in this particular topic. So before we get into it, though, I want to know if you can tell us a little bit about your own experience as an expat and how you got into advising others on the expat and repatriation experience and, and writing the book. Well, thank you. Um, I've been an expat for um, almost 25 years now, and have moved internationally seven times. Um, I was born in Africa, but I'm of Greek parents. So I grew up in Greece after the age of four, which you know, so Greece is my passport country. And I started my expat journey um, sometime in my mid-20s of my own initiative. Um, made, a, as I said, a number of moves, um, first on my own, then uh, with my partner, who later became a husband, and eventually with our family of five. So I made many different kinds of moves, both self-initiated and sponsored. Um, most of them great, some not so great. Uh, one of those moves seriously damaged my career and uh, yeah, it resulted in me uh, reinventing myself, completely changing career direction and, and building a new professional identity from scratch. Um, I did that not when I repatriated, but uh, when I moved to a different country. So that's, that's just one little um, um, comment I'd like to add is that uh, expat partners don't necessarily reinvent themselves when they repatriate. Sometimes, you know, and, and very often they do that while they're on the move uh, because they have to adapt their career aspirations or their, their professional identities to the realities of, of living as an expat. And very often uh, those involve following another expat around their partners. So, um, so just wanted to add that as a possibility as well. So it's not just when we repatriate, but you know, for some of us, this is a a, a long term uh, lifestyle choice that doesn't necessarily include repatriation. Right, and boy, I'd like to get into that in a little bit too, and and hear exactly what happened there. So, um, just to, to finish, yeah, that'd be my answer to your question. Sorry. Um, I, I became interested in this field. I mean, I was, I'm a, um, a researcher by training, and in my first career, I was a defense analyst. Um, and um, I, you know, tried to keep that up through a um, couple of moves. And then at some point, you know, there was one move that was particularly challenging. 
and that made it really hard for me to to keep up this career. Uh, at the same time, this was a very difficult move on a personal level. I was having a really, really hard time adjusting, even though it was not my first international move. So um, I was I was just finding it really hard to feel at home and, and to connect with this, this new place and, and the people there. So as I was trying to make sense of this um, experience and, and you know, being a researcher, um, my, my background made me want to um, ask questions and answer questions such as, you know, what is it that makes a difference in, in how we adjust after an international move? Why do some people seem to thrive and others struggle so much? So what is it that, you know, what is it that makes a difference? What are the common mistakes we make? What is it that helps to make a smoother transition? So as I was asking myself these questions, I started doing research and, and uh, you know, doing a lot of interviews with other experts and trying to figure out what, you know, their experiences were. And, and that led me to, um, to start writing a book. Uh, which I published last summer, and it's called The Great Move, like you mentioned. And essentially, it was um, a way for me to to give back to to my community of expats. To and it's it's the kind of resource I wish I'd had when I was making my moves, and especially when I was making this this uh, really challenging move. And this book basically talks about you know the key principles one needs to keep in mind when making these kinds of transitions and the strategies um, that help cope with the challenges, uh, but not only that, also to thrive in, in building a global life. And that includes coping with career challenges like uh, continue, continuing to pursue a career while being on an expat trail or managing dual careers as an expat couple or relaunching a career after repatriating. Yeah, that's 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 one part of my uh, my new career identity, and and the other part is is coaching. You know, as I was writing the book, I discovered that another way to help expats going through challenging transitions was coaching, and and so I did my coaching training, and and now I work with uh, both you know people who are making international moves, but also especially uh, expat partners who are. Um, you know, who are going in, uh, who are uh, going through career challenges as they're following their partners around the globe, and who want to, um, you know, to to be able to maintain a, a meaningful and fulfilling career while abroad, and so we um, so we work on that together. Well, I, you know, there's so many different uh, scenarios here for when you are a trailing spouse or partner um, in a, a situation where you're going to another country. So I just want to talk about a few of them and, and get your, your reaction to it. Uh, so for just to start off, the scenario where a relauncher has followed his or her spouse or partner um, to another country where they did not have a work permit. They were not allowed to work during that time. They were there, let's say, for a few years. And now they're coming back, but they weren't thinking at all about strategy or preparation while they were abroad. And now they're back and they're trying to um, relaunch their career. And they're trying to uh, adjust being back in their home country at the same time. So if a person is in that situation, um, 
Are there certain steps that they could take to ease this transi- transition back to life at home and also back to work? Right. So a general piece of advice I give not only my clients, but anybody I meet who's repatriating is, you know, when it comes to adjusting back to life in their home country and home in quotes, uh, is to treat the move as just another expatriation uh, because the challenges will be the same. And it really saves them a lot of trouble and a lot of struggle to not expect to feel at home right away. So a lot of things Mm -hmm. will be new. I mean, they will be different. Even if they've been away for for like only three or four years, they will have changed. Their perspectives will be different. Um, Their expectations will be different. Um, The people they knew back home will have moved on. The country will have moved on. The culture will have evolved. So there'll be a lot of things that are different. Uh, What makes repatriation extremely challenging is two things. One is that the expats themselves expect to feel right at home, and that almost never happens. And the second thing is their environment um, expects them to feel right at home. So they don't really get any slack for like the adjustment period they don't get support you know often the sponsors will not uh, you know the, the corporate sponsors will not offer them support for expatriation like they get for uh, for repatriation like they get for expatriation so even though the challenges are are very similar and, and that's why you know it's called reverse culture shock so it is a form of culture shock as well returning home now that's a more more general comment about about going back to life at home. Now, um, going back to work, um, two things. The like, first is I recommend starting at the beginning. So even if um, you had a career before expatriating, um, I would still recommend asking some basic questions about the kind of career you want to pursue now, the person you are now. Uh, and you know, expatriation is deeply transformational. So as I said, even for short periods of time, people come out of it very different. Their interests may be different. Often their sense of purpose or meaning is different. Uh, their skills and talents may have evolved, even uh, though they were not professionally active. Uh, and I can, I can talk a bit more about that later on. And, uh, and in addition to that, the country, as I said, the job market may have changed. So going back to the drawing board and asking, is this really what I want to do now or is there something else? And Let's say someone is still abroad and they're listening to this and they have more time abroad before they come back and they're doing some advanced planning. Is there something that they can be doing while they're still an expat in another country in preparation for coming back here that makes their transition, um, I I guess, to life at home, but also especially career-wise? Um, like putting it does it put them in a better position in any way to do some advanced planning before they get back here? Um, absolutely. So one thing they should do in, in any case, just in case, uh, whether they're planning to stay in the same field or change fields, is is to stay connected to their exist to their existing network and and not really drop out and then just like show up again three or four years later. I think it it really helps to. Um, to try to stay part of their field, to try to stay connected to the people, which will allow them before they, you know, when they know they're coming back to reach out to that network and to the people who knew them as, 
as professionals. And, and this is a really good starting point because, again, even if they don't stay in the same field, um, they have, you know, these, these people can be their reference. Um, for instance, when I was mm-hmm. moving abroad, even though I had, I had left my, my job as a, as a military analyst, I still had that network that was uh, providing me with, um, you know, alerts when, when there was an interesting job for me or, um, you know, consulting projects. So I, I used that network a lot when I was um, figuring out, you know, what my next career direction would be. Or also when I started my coaching business, I reached out to my network. So that's a really, really useful um, piece of advice to have in mind. And the other um, advice I'd have is, is to look at your skill set and, you know, what are the, the skills you have or the, the talents, the abilities you have that are transferable in, uh, as, in different fields as well? Um, again, to, to give my example, I was a, a defense analyst, but, you know, I had skills as a researcher, which allowed me to research, uh, research and write this book. Um, so, you know, I'm not in defense anymore, but I have definitely drawn on my skills and actually drawing on those skills helped me figure out know what my next career direction would be um in addition to the skills you already have as an expert especially as an expert partner you build uh, a very particular set of skills again even if you're not professionally active and and these skills are often overlooked or underestimated even by by expert partners themselves but they're very real and they're very valuable such as you know um the ability to deal with uncertainty um adaptability that's a expert superpower, right? Um, Empathy, tolerance, um, entrepreneurial skills, like being a self-starter. You use those skills a lot as an expert, especially as an expert partner. So uh, just being aware of those skills and and trying, you know, to to figure out where you would like to apply them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And so you mentioned something about um, consulting. So if you are in a, a different country, you don't have a work permit to work there, but you have connections with people from your home country, can you work as a consultant for people in your home country even while you're abroad, regardless of your work status in the new country? So that will depend on the country. There's different rules, so I cannot give you an answer on that. But what I Again, what I always recommend is is to know what are the exact parameters of, of your kind of professional activity um, in, in every location you move to and find out exactly if you can't have a work permit for this location, can you, uh, I don't know, um, set up a company that's based in your home country, which a lot of experts do, and does that allow you um, to do consulting work outside this country? I can't give an answer to that. Sometimes it's possible, sometimes it isn't, but exploring all the potential avenues is key ideally before you move somewhere so you can you can prepare for that but and at least when you're there just mm-hmm. trying to figure out okay do i you know don't give up right away just because you can't get a work permit I mean, there's there's many other um opportunities you can explore you know paid or unpaid it's just making me wonder even if you don't have your own company um you know, if you're doing a remote assignment for someone, it doesn't really matter where you're located and your working relationship is with that company. Uh, and it feels to me like that potentially could be an option. But you're saying it really depends. There are some countries where even that is not OK. Well, I don't know how you how you um, declare the income. That's that's the thing that I would 
look into this. Even if you're not working in the country, you somehow get taxed, right? So I see. Okay. I see what you're saying. Um, so let's say that you're a really good future planner and you're uh, currently working, but you know that you are about to take a career break because you are going to follow your spouse or partner to another country. You know you're going to leave your um, your job, but then ultimately when you come back, you want to you're going to want to resume your career. So is there anything? that you can do in advance of even going abroad uh, to think about what your work or non-work options might be that are related to your career goals in a future um, expat experience that will help you once you're back home. Right, exactly. So lots of things you can do. I mean, the first I, I already talked about is be clear on the on the parameters of your, your activity. Um, yeah. The, the other thing I find is extremely important is to be aligned with your partner on what your long-term plan is. And it sounds very evident, but a lot of couples don't do that. So, you know, for example, the question, is this a one-time thing, uh, a one-time expatriation, or is it a more long-term thing that you, you know, what's coming next? Are you going back home? Are you moving on to the next country? And a lot of couples are not aligned on that. And, and there's a lot of you know, unpleasant surprises after three or four years are, are up. So uh, it makes a difference whether you should be um, thinking about relaunching your career upon repatriation in three or four years or about relaunching your career while you're on the move or about reinventing uh, your career in a totally different direction so it can fit with your, your expert lifestyle. So those are very different um, kinds of planning and and strategies involved here. Um, also being aware that, that career breaks are tricky because um, they may take longer than planned. They may be uh, not always conscious, uh, which is why they take longer than planned sometimes. And, and there's a lot of uncertainty about where you will be next and what opportunities are available to you. Um, and of course, the longer you stay away, the harder it is to get back. So being aware of those realities um, as a principle, I recommend to, to again, not drop, drop out uh, altogether, but try to stay up to date, try to stay connected with your network, know what's happening in your field. And, um, and like, like you mentioned, you know, what's your long-term vision and how can you contribute to that? How can you build up to that while you're away? So if you cannot um, get paid work, if you can't get a, a work permit, um, can you, for example, do volunteer work, even if it's not in your particular field, but maybe look at the kinds of skills you're, you're building through that uh, volunteer work? Or um, if it's an option to continue education or, or to, to you know, build your credentials in a way that will help you uh, when you do relaunch your career. Um, so are, yeah, just exploring what, what are the ways to support your long-term vision here. Right. And I want to talk about volunteer work in just a minute, but I'm wondering, Katya, can you talk to us about the experience that you had that caused you to completely change your career path? Mm -hmm. So um, I was, as I said, I was a defense analyst and I moved to a neutral country where, uh, where there is, you know, defense research, but it's, I mean, it's nothing compared to what I was doing. Um, you know, when I was in the U.S., I was, uh, doing studies for the Pentagon and the Air Force, and, and I mean, it was it was 
much different uh, level work and much more interesting. And then, and then I, I moved to a neutral country where I, the best I could do was work at the defense ministry there, but uh, it, it was nowhere near as, as challenging or, or stimulating as, as what I was doing before. So I was trying to um, get other opportunities abroad and there, you know, we're coming to a whole other set of challenges, which has to do with, you know, dual career couples and, and adding the expert layer, uh, you know, the expert complication on that, uh, which makes things even more challenging. So I got, you know, very attractive job offers, but in different countries. And, and there was a problem to move because my, my uh, partner at the time was not ready to, you know, give up his career and follow me. So, you know, I got one, two, three offers, you know, when I, when I had to say no to the fourth offer, I basically closed the door. Mm. Uh, and, and that felt very strange and very sad at the same time, but it, there was nothing I could do at the time. So, you know, after I closed that door, I was like, okay, now I need to, um, you know, I need to figure out something else because, you know, I had exhausted all the possibilities uh, within in my geographical region within Europe uh, at the time. So that's when I looked into, okay, what, you know, what skills do I have? And, and of course my, uh, ex- my, my very challenging experience at the same time with adjustment kind of gave me the idea of, of exploring expert transitions. So it was, it was a combination of factors, I think, that, that led me to this um, reinvention. But Another reason why expert partners often have to reinvent their careers is that their careers are not portable. And if you are committed to an expert lifestyle, you have to have a portable career. It doesn't work otherwise, unless you are the one who's leading the moves. Um, but if you're the one following, then you have to, you need something that you can basically transport to every location you're at. And that's why... You know, a lot of expert partners um, have their own businesses. They become entrepreneurs um, or they become, you know, consultants or, you know, any profession that's that's possible to do um, from a distance online, you know, that's portable. Yes, we've explored that to some degree with our military spouse uh, population uh, because they're always moving. And the, the you know, some of the ideas of, uh, Tax there. Some of them are tax preparers or virtual assistants, and um, I've seen some very creative ways of starting, as you're saying, an entrepreneurial business or um, building a a career that's based on transferable skills that that are really viable. Absolutely, um, yeah. yeah. Now, military spouses are like expert spouses. I mean, it's yeah, same kind of yeah. Uh, demographic. Yeah, yeah, very similar. Um, so can we get back to the discussion about, let's say you're in a new country and you want to seek out volunteer roles that are related to your career goals or to help you develop some of these transferable skills that you're working on. Um, are there certain uh, go-to websites or keywords or like where do you begin when you're in a new country and try, and you're trying to identify how to find these roles? And do countries vary significantly on how they view volunteer work or whether volunteer roles are even available? Mm-hmm. Um, I am not an expert on volunteer work, but I, I do, you know, I do work with people who are looking into these options. Um, 
most countries, I mean, it's it's if, especially if it's un, if it's unpaid uh, volunteer work, then I don't know many countries who would like prevent you from doing that. There, there probably are some, but um, the idea is here here is to you know I would look at um, NGOs, I would look at charity organizations, I would um, if one has children, I would look into the school and the kinds of initiatives. Uh, that are launched from the schools, especially international schools. There's there's a lot of uh, possibilities in there, um, and try to align that to the extent possible with with my interests. And maybe those interests are not necessarily what I was doing as as a career, but maybe there's something you know I've always wanted to do. So volunteer work is really a, an opportunity to stay, I call it you know professionally active but also to fulfill some a sense of purpose that you may have had for a while and that you weren't able to uh, to fulfill in your in your career up to then but you know it, it really depends on the country there's are NGOs everywhere there's you know international schools everywhere um, I would also use the and I didn't talk about this yet but that's that's uh, very important. I would ask for support from from the sponsor, from the you know usually the corporate sponsor or or the the military sponsor, you know, to to set me up, to help me network, um, to to help me figure out what the opportunities are there. And a lot of a lot of partners don't make use of that or don't assume that they can. Uh, but this is you know it's becoming you know more and more employers are keen to help expert spouses with their um, career challenges because they're well aware that, that those career challenges are a key reason why, you know, assignments fail. You know, when, when spouses are not happy, um, there's a higher likelihood that an expert assignment uh, is going to fail or that they're going to, you know, the couple is going to return earlier than the planned date. So there's there's a lot more motivation these days on the corporate side to support spouses' um, career ambitions, career progression, and that could include you know providing um, insights on into volunteer opportunities as well. Mm, that's a good idea. So take so really explore what the benefits are offered by your your spouse's employer, which is the reason you're moving to whatever country it is in the first place. Um, checking out what the um, offerings and activities and, and maybe just resources are through the international schools. Uh, and then are there other organizations that you recommend when people arrive in a new country to um, connect with other expats, connect with other people who are not expats or who, who are, are native to the country um, when you first arrive? Right. I mean, there's tons these days in, in you know even the most remote non-expert countries is there's always an expert organization and and uh you know compared to when i first moved there's there's so much more uh possibility to to find them you know you just go on facebook and find a ton of expert groups in in your you know neighborhood or um so you know when i was in vienna i joined what they call the you know vienna babies club but it's really you know the english-speaking mothers club and and through that i i got a lot of connections not just around you know babies and, and raising children um before i moved to to my current location zurich i had already joined the american women's club even though i'm not american but i'm english-speaking so uh i i connected to a lot of um to a lot of expats through that and 
Uh, often in these organizations, there's also locals who are involved. Not many, but uh, but but there's there is some at least, and and a lot of experts are also married to locals, so you have some connection to um, to the local community. But again, that also depends on the country, um, and and it depends on the person. I never, um, you know, I don't recommend oh you should be connecting only with locals to feel local or you should only be connecting with expats i mean there's no it, it really depends on what works for the person right um so there's there's absolutely no judgment there in it. and again in some countries it's easier than others to um to be more connected to the local society and the local community but right uh, just a simple google search or you know facebook search um you know there's there's expert clubs everywhere like what i said the american women's association is in in many many um countries uh but there's you know there's a ton of other groups katja can you give us a couple of examples of how people have relaunched their careers after an expat experience right um let me think so i can think of many examples where people started their own businesses um, and whether it was, you know. Um, yes, that, those would be good. Starting, uh, that'd be interesting to hear. Yeah, so um, like from my you know, coaching community, I have a lot of coaches who who, um, who did that while they were um, on an expert trail. So either coaching you know, expert partners or coaching expats uh, through relationship challenges um, I have people who have set up online uh, businesses, um, you know, kind of um, building websites like graphic designers or website designers. That's a very, very portable profession. Um, people who, again, um, who are helping expert partners build businesses. That's very popular <laughs> these days. Hmm. Um, you know, artists. Um, you would be surprised at how much how many artists can can work online. I mean, it's uh, um, I have you know photographers. Um, okay, that that has to be a little bit local as well. Photographers, um, uh, stylists, makeup artists. I mean, these these are all people who had very different careers um, entering expert life, but this was something they always wanted to do. So they um, they took the opportunity to start from scratch, have a blank slate and and uh, and reinvent themselves mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but a lot of it as i said is online portable uh you know, transferable kind of business so when they move to the next location um okay if, you know if it's a photographer or a makeup artist then it's you know you have to still have to build up your local clientele but but for those working online like i was like if i move now uh my clients are not based in zurich or very minimally based in zurich so um you know, there's only a time zone to battle with. Otherwise, uh, you just take your business with you. And if, yeah, I mean, something else to think about is, you know, how can you make it? You know, what are what is the what are the logistics of of um, transferring? You know, your your you know where your business is registered, and if you need to do that. Uh, so I think for me in Switzerland, for example, I would need to to close it down, re-register somewhere else. But some for some other countries, you can just stay registered in one country and live in another one. I so, see. Uh, the legal aspect is is also important for for portable businesses. 
So Katya, we're, we're winding up um, in terms of our timing here. And I wanted to know if, if A, th th were there any topics that you wanted to make sure that we touched on that, that we didn't touch on? And I can mix that with our final question that we ask um, all of our podcast guests. And that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we already talked about today? So two things. One I already talked about is to think strategically and ask for what you need um, and negotiate the terms of the move up front, you know, whether it's with your partner or, you know, or through your partner with your partner's employer. Don't be uh, hesitant to ask for what you need. And, and a lot of partners feel selfish. It's not selfish to ask for what you need, because if, you know, if you can make this move meaningful and fulfilling for you, then everyone benefits or you know, the whole you know, your partner benefits, the whole family benefits. Uh, so that's that's one thing that's really important to, to always remind ourselves that, you know, we can ask for what we need to thrive. And the second one is that mindset is key, is really, really important. And, and what I mean by that is, is a mindset of empowerment, knowing that you have a choice, even if uh, it might seem you don't, like you may not be able to choose where you move or, or often when you move. But there are other areas where you do have a choice and, and you have to be able to see them and, and, and make the right choices that, that will allow you, again, to make the move work for you. Um, so not feeling, you know, feeling like a victim is not going to get you anywhere, but feeling like you're empowered, like you can see the possibilities is, is really important. And I've been on both sides and I can, I can guarantee, you know, empowerment beats victimhood uh, every time. So, yeah, so those, those are my, my two key points. Thank you. That's a great place to leave it. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today, Katya. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And um, tell, can you tell our listeners how they can find out more about your work? Right. So the, the easiest is to go to my website, uh, www.katyavlachos.com. That's K-A-T-I-A. B-L-A-C-H-O-S.com or, you know, my, my social media connections are there. There's information about the book uh, if you're about to make a move or if you're in the middle of a move and uh, or, you know, just connect with me on LinkedIn. It's another way. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thanks for listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us. 